Welcome to Creative Welly, episode 31. My name is DK, the founder and creator of Creative Welly. You're going to be listening to the audio version of the video podcast. So thank you for your time and attention. Big shout out to John O'Tucker, who creates the fantastic video version. Check that out on creativewelly.com. John O'Tucker is a guy behind Empire Films, and he's a brilliant magician when it comes to video and photography. Also a big shout out and thank you to David from Flashdog Studio who allows us to shoot in his space as this is a pro bono venture. Nobody gets paid. It's just for the love of conversation. So in this episode, we have two chief executives, one six months into their role, the other 18 months. We have a chief executive from English Language Partners. That is James McCulloch and also Victoria Crockford. She's the chief executive officer of the community housing Otiaroa. This is a fantastic conversation, great energy with these two. We kind of explore everything from that English language perspective, coming to a different country, being a migrant, being a refugee, over to the housing side of things and houses versus homes, also our identity and community, as well as leadership. Enjoy. What is it that you most dislike? What is it that you most Dislike you had an answer story <laughs> you before it even finished. The yeah. Yeah, I hate. What, I is, just it? Like, what is it? <laughs> what is it? Do you have a response? I do. I do. You have you go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, passive aggression. Okay. Yeah, I, I really dislike passive aggression. Um, That's a good response. I've experienced it in right. personal and professional contexts, and every time it's soured relationships and mm. really is not a helpful way of being <laughs> as yeah. a as a person and, an, totally. and you know with another person so yeah that's a strong one for me mm. that's good as any mm. that is like that yeah i'd mm. agree with that um for me um unnecessary drama mm. okay but can be linked to what yeah, you I said to say that probably. <laughs> often the two come together <laughs> yeah. right um yeah. which also comes from like a complete lack of clarity mm. so that kind yeah. of um assumptions and we've seen a lot of that in the last few months and it's just like mm. actually let's just spend five more minutes finding out the fact oh we don't need to worry about that thing yeah, yeah. so that kind of winds me up uh, but realizing that some people want to live in that space actually because that's a more comfortable space than the the reality yeah yeah of course but it's uh, it's not where i like to spend my energy yeah <laughs> that's cool and have mm. you seen people accidentally get sucked into that you know people totally. who maybe wouldn't normally want to be in that state but because of the unprecedented uncertainty they've yeah. kind of found that in themselves unhelpfully. Yeah, or, and, it, and it may be yeah. that that place is, is even more comforting yeah. than, than the reality. Right. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, and people that you would normally not expect it from, you know, because they're usually quite firm about facts. Um, mm. But yeah, and I suppose realizing that, that people need that drama sometimes as well, or, or ambiguity, or just chaos yeah but um mm. so i'm learning to probably a bit more be a bit more accommodating yeah i think that's a good one mm. learning i know in myself that i've become or had to learn over time to be less reactive yeah. and i think from me that's because i've had a you know some years with a background in communications where you are constantly asked to be reactive mm. and things just sometimes an entire day will be taken up with one media yeah, article yeah, for example yeah. and so right. you have to, that kind of prioritization towards 
um, something that's immediate and now and urgent. And so having to unlearn some of that behaviour as I've stepped into a different role has actually been a personal work on for me. And so just asking that question of you was about a reflection that, that... I don't like unnecessary drama, but I've had to unlearn being hyper-reactive in such a reactive world. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and I I suppose I'm quite solutions focused. Yeah. So let's, let's find a fix and move on. Let's get, let's just spend five minutes researching it. Oh, we don't need to do that thing. Mm -hmm. But actually realizing that that's not what people wanted at all. They wanted to live in that space for a little bit longer. And, um, and maybe, maybe as, as leaders, yeah, that's that's an instinctive sort of. No, I want to, there must be a reaction, there must be a response. Sometimes the responses do nothing; just let it sit. Yes. So the diffusion I've always found with that is to. Most people just want to be heard. Mm. Mm. They might not want. They might accept the solution is beyond them as well, or you can't make them happy. Mm. But l- being heard is such a key attribute to human condition we want to be heard mm. yeah? but in terms of the drama as well most of the times they just want to be considered or heard like yeah. i said and once you show that it's like i hear you however mm. i hear you although yeah, you know it could know. be a response like yes yes i kind of agree but the current situation or this yeah. i don't have the money or the resources i can't do that because i but i hear you and i'm going to sit and listen we still can't Maybe that's a, a response to this. I, I, th- I think I've learned that in my current role yeah. a lot more. You know, we've got locations all over the country and we're mm. very community focused. And, and sometimes it's just that voicing of that frustration that they feel at a centre in X city. There's no solution to it. It's just they feel better for saying it. But yep. I suppose yeah, where, I, where, where I come from often is, is oh, but well, I wouldn't feel any better because there's no solution. But mm. there is. The solution is I just yeah. feel better for offloading it. Yeah. And, and, yeah. You, and you now knowing it, James. Um, yeah. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's, so how would you describe currently what you pair do? <laughs> to people who don't have a clue. Oh, you go first. Oh, Similar but different. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, I work for a wonderful organization called English Language Partners who work with former refugees and migrants, um, pretty exclusively, I suppose, and we're the biggest NGO in New Zealand doing that, not just teaching English. I'd say English is the vehicle for what we do. It's about settlement and well-being and thriving and kind of all the stuff that makes a good life and and all the stuff that we kind of take for granted. Mm. And yeah, I've done that for about 18 months, and I've done loads of different things um, previously, which I'm sure we'll come on to. But, but I love it, and I love the variety of it. But also, I suppose what I do there as CEO is just try and make us be the best that we can be. And, um, you know, that's, that's not to get so involved in, in the technicalities of what we're doing. It's just to, to really help people create the best space they can to create the best space we can for our learners. Nice. And, um, and, and I've reflected on that a lot, I suppose, in all the different roles I've had. It's... Um, I suppose I'm a bit of a serial CE, as long as, as, long as the cause, you know. Serial serial CE. Actually, this is an intervention. You have an issue. You have a problem. You've been, you've been talking to a few people around you. <laughs> no, at all. No. Could you give us a scale, a sense of scale, yeah, sorry, for the organisation yeah. so and the reach? Yeah, that's right. We help about 7,000 people a year, and we've got... Just under 2,000 staff and volunteers in 22 locations, from the far north to the deep south and, and, and everywhere else, you know, remote and doing all sorts of online stuff and working with 
well over 150 different languages and, and backgrounds and nationalities um, and all sorts of reasons for coming here as well. Mm. So, um, and we've been going for about 40 years. And so, yeah, it's, it's cool stuff because mm. actually um, it's such a cliche, but you kind of know every day that in multiple locations we're doing some really good stuff that's making mm. a difference. And it's tiny things like the test we took before we came in here. Mm. Um, we're helping people understand how you do that from, di from different language point of view yeah. and culturally and all those sort of things that, you know, we just wrestle with a little bit in our lives mm. are magnified yeah. if you don't speak English or if culturally you can't go out uh, as a woman on your own um, because there's no man with you and that's just not what's expected or, or understood. So there's all yeah. sorts of little things like that. So it's cool. Do you, do you call the people who access your services clients, customers? Oh, we call them users? learners. Learners. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's the language, and and it's a great question because when I joined, I was really um, wanted to be really observant of language, yeah. of, mm. of how we refer to people that we help, and how we refer to you know uh, home country. You know, it's not where you came from; it's, it's home country or location mm. or um, and all these different things about home as well. Where is where is home? Yeah. So, yeah, learners. And where do the, do the learners access you direct, or do they come through different subsidiary services? Yeah, I mean, they, they also just literally come off the street. So they see right. us. Yeah. We're in quite prominent locations. Yeah. Um, we're always in a hub. We're always near to public transport, because that's really important. So right. people just sort of come across us. And, uh, and the other sort of interesting thing since I've been there is we've had no real meaningful numbers of new arrivals into the country so because the borders closed right so when i took that job i remember people saying to me are you sure because that whole business seems to be based around people coming to new zealand and there's no one coming but we've been busier than ever mm. because um there are tens of thousands of people already here who are struggling with english or well-being or settlement or all sorts of stuff and you just got to reach out to them so good wow. old good old social media and yeah has it created a space then for you to like yeah, reach out deeper into communities. And yeah, totally. And I think, um, you know, I wasn't there at the beginning of the pandemic, but when we went completely online, it was all face-to-face. -face. It's all like in-class stuff and home tutor stuff yeah. in people's homes. Um, going online just totally took away any boundaries. Mm. Um, so you can help someone wherever they are, even if geographically they can never get to a population mm. centre or... You know, they can't do that at three o'clock in the afternoon because they're at work, mm. but they can go online in the evening with a bunch of other learners who happen to also be from Syria, but they never would have met because we're in Nelson, you're in Dunedin, and, and she's in Christchurch. But then this little other community forms as well. So yeah. it's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. So out of, out of I, I think, I'm always careful when I say this, but I think probably COVID has helped accelerate massive change at ELP. And I kind of like that lack of choice yeah. as well, which is... Because usually we'd change the question is why, and it's totally taken away the why, which is, mm. well, we just have to. Yeah. Um, so, it's been, yeah, it's been good. Great. Yeah. Well, and then over to you, That's now, enough Vic. from me for now. Yeah, That's no, great. That's, Thank you. I was just nodding away, and I've probably made unhelpful noises into the microphone, um, which I should have said I do. Um, but uh, because I can see so many parallels around... Um, around the, the piece in terms of equity and why mm. words matter, but yeah. also that sort of forced innovation, if you like, yeah, and, yeah. and what lessons we might be able to take forward. Um, but I will backtrack to what I actually do before <laughs> I get to there. Um, so I'm the new-ish Chief Executive Officer at Community Housing Aotearoa, 
and I say new-ish, I'm six months in as of last week, I believe. Um, I started four days before we went into our lockdown for Delta. Uh, so I've met my team in Auckland once um, and I've seen about a handful of our 75 full member providers in person um, since I started my role. So I've really had to make my connections entirely online. So that's been a really interesting experience. Uh, in terms of our scale, yeah, we've got 75 full member providers and about 30 partner members. So our full members are usually uh, regulated, registered community housing providers who will provide anything um, from you know, progressive home ownership and partnership with developers to transitional and emergency housing oversight and partnership with Kaimo Order. So we really offer mm -hmm. a, a huge range of solutions, meet a huge range of needs in pretty much every single community throughout the country. Mm -hmm. And our partner members are organisations like councils who might have some community housing um, stock, if you like, or mm. an interest, obviously, in, in social and public housing. Um, we work in, in collaboration with Te Matapihi, who are the National Māori Housing Advocate, and with them we run Homeless Sector Support Services, mm. which is a specific partnership between our organisations to provide the peak body services for those supporting yeah. people experiencing homelessness. So... Uh, a peak body is a weird entity. Yeah, <laughs> People are like, yeah. what what's mean? a peak body? And then you say, you know, an umbrella organisation. And they're like, and what does that mean? <laughs> so I'll, I'll go into a little bit around yeah, what a peak body is because they are an interesting part of our policy and kind of socio-cultural landscape, actually. Mm. So we provide a range of functions on behalf of our sector. So you can imagine, but like James, he's got a full range of mm. providers around the country busy delivering mm -hmm. their thing, um, so do we, and they don't necessarily have the time nor the, the resources to be submitting on changes in policy or considering, um, you know, lobbying for funding or, or those mm. sorts of things. So that's that's our role. They sign up to us and, and pay us a membership fee every year and we are, are their voice. So we bring their voice to the decision-making table. Um, we submit on policy uh, and we work really closely with government agencies on making sure they just get the best outcome possible out of whatever mm -hmm. policy mm. settings are going on. So that's the membership part, but we also have quite an interesting systems change part. Mm. Um, in fact, we have a, a role within our organisation, which is manager of systems shift. Um, and really that is about looking at the broad landscape of the housing system and all of the settings, or you've probably heard the word levers, mm -hmm. that, that go yeah. into creating our housing ecosystem. And we see the community housing sector's role in there, you know, as supporting both the private sector and the state housing kind of contribution but we also need to understand it in its fullness to really know how we can best contribute in the levers that are the most urgent in terms of needing to be pulled so we um whilst that's not the bulk of our work we do play an important role in being a bit of a system connector if you like connecting mm -hmm. all the dots between mm -hmm. the different mm -hmm. players and we have quite a unique perspective actually of all of the different players so um but, but to James's point around what is actually my job, <laughs> and I'm still working my way through that because COVID really threw me in course, to the very deep well. end of a very deep pool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, and so I have to quite consciously step back and go, okay, I've, I have a tendency to get stuck into everything, boots and all. So I've had the chance most recently to kind of zoom out again and go, right, really, what is my role here? Mm. And that 
getting the best out of people, um, yeah. enabling our amazing team. There's only eight of us and we're doing a whole oh, bunch of wow. stuff okay. to, to deliver services all over the show, but do it with, you know, enjoyment and well-being. Yes. Um, and really just to, to connect people, mm. connect our providers with mm. government, yeah. connect government with the voices of lived experience, connect providers with each other. Um, you know, I think it's a it's a really important role we have to, mm. to kind of facilitate really positive relationships. So, so I think that's what my job is becoming. <laughs> but I'm also still on call if anyone has problems with accessing rapid antigen testing. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. I'm the nature of a, a CE in 2022 I, in the sector, right? And I fully embrace that, yeah. actually, because that we, can, that we can make good things happen for mm. people is, is really exciting. Yeah. Like James, uh, same question in terms of scale, in terms yeah. of reach. Sorry. Yeah, so we're everywhere in the country. Yeah. yeah so, mm. um, so of our of our seventy five members, we obviously have a concentration in Tamaki Makoto because that's where mm. most of New Zealand lives. But actually, we've got um, trusts that have got three houses operating in very small mm. rural communities, delivering okay. the on, they the only social service and housing provider sometimes in that community. Um, you know, through to through to um, entities that have 2,300 properties spread throughout wow. the country. Okay. So we service that whole range, yeah, and they are really everywhere. Yep. Yep. It's quite broad, isn't it? Because mm. I, I was reading on the website nearly 2,000 households in terms of the reach and kind yes. of engagement uh, we've across got your members. 18,000 houses under management, yeah. Wow. So if you think that all of those homes are a household, then obviously yeah, exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Households is like three or four people, yeah. probably maybe more sometimes. That's right. So eighteen, just over eighteen thousand currently, and, and obviously with intentions to build more and supply more. But yeah, so it's a big reach. Mm. And as a membership organisation, you've already touched on being a, a voice mm. for the sector mm. and having a, a representation to government. Mm. Uh, I know you're only six months in and you're probably doing a little bit of a, a branch and audit review of kind of what's going on and yep, stuff. Yep. But in terms of that kind mm. of approach that you take, mm. you know, there's probably a housing minister that you yep. would very much keep locked in your sight lines yep. and stuff. What, what is the approach? Are they, uh, is the government very open to having approaches from sectors such as or some membership representation yeah. like yourself? I would say I think um, that all... Governments, as I understand it, as I look back over the landscape of the sector, have understood the importance of the community housing sector. That manifests itself in different ways, and we've certainly got, um, you know, ambitions for for further capital investment in the sector, for example. But um, but yeah, I think COVID for me has been. A, I came from the energy sector, so a very different different mm, kind of sector. Mm. COVID for me has illustrated, I guess, not only the power of um, connecting directly with government and the agencies are, you know, brilliant at showing up to mm. our calls and and providing support, but also the power of the community itself. Yeah. You know, I think that um, that relationship with government is really important, but actually the the fundamental relationship is uh, the mm. the networks created within the the community itself um and now as we move into a real real national crisis mode with mm, with mm. covid the it's what it, relationships are what yeah, it's boiling totally. down to yeah. you can put those structures in place but in the end it's it's who you know and how you can get a hold of them and to yeah. you know that's really going to make the difference yeah yeah mm. so i'm interested in both of you how how do you measure success mm. like what metrics do you illustrate 
And I suppose you have a board system? We have a council of elected council. members, so from our providers. Cool. Yeah. And you probably have a board? We have a board. <clears throat> yeah. So similar, right? Yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. Very so similar. We're answerable to someone. Yeah, yeah. governance. <laughs> governance, yeah. But in terms of then the numbers that you take to them versus mm. the numbers you take to your staff might be very different sometimes, yeah. right? Couldn't possibly be the same. Yeah. <laughs> but in terms of what metrics do you yeah, what explore is to prove impact, I suppose? Yeah. I mean... Um, I guess there's two sides to that, really. So there's, you know, we're funded by the Tertiary Education Commission to deliver learning, deliver hours of learning. So that's easy to measure. You know, we've, we've had people go through classes or home tutor experiences or support, and we've delivered. And, you know, we need to do that. So that's, we live by that. Yeah. Um, but that's only one sort of articulation of success. Mm. Um, it's, for me, it's about the stories and the difference. And I guess for a lot of people, it's employment outcomes, or social outcomes. And if you're a relatively new arrival into a country, you know, success is, is a job and somewhere to live and feeling safe and secure and my kids are in school and yeah. New Zealand's paradise compared to Syria or wherever I was before. Um, so helping people do that is what we measure. So we have a whole bunch of outcomes that we measure. Um, and they're kind of interesting, but I think the stories that we bring to life, and they're not our stories, they're mm. our learner's stories that we're mm. able to curate uh, through blog pieces or video pieces or whatever we do and I think we do that well I think we could do it even better um, and that's that's the sort of hearts and minds stuff I think yeah. so that's probably how I measure success um, and then I guess the third aspect which is on my mind at the moment even from this morning you know dealing with you know challenges of having some people out at the moment with with COVID okay. is we're a life-changing NGO you are as well um, and but it shouldn't be at the expense of our own well-being. So we say this a lot, is you know, we're trying to improve the lives of thousands of learners, but we've failed if we've actually made our lives worse in the, in the game. So, we, so it has to be both. The journey and the destination must be excellent, which is what I say a lot to my team, and they probably get bored of me saying that. Um, but, um, so that's kind of how we measure success. And, and there are all sorts of other ways, but ultimately, yeah, just delivering the numbers is great, but what, what difference do we really make? Um, and as I say, it's sometimes things that aren't measured, like a very simple version of how you use a COVID test from different languages. And no one pays us to do that. That's no, it's not recorded anywhere, but I know we've shared it on Facebook this morning and I know people are loving it. So mm. that would be a good day, I think. Um, Love that. So that sort of stuff. That's cool. That's brilliant. Mm -hmm. that, that does bring me that question of what is success to that corridor yeah. about why words matter. Yes. <laughs> and I think yeah. particularly when there is an aspect of your organisation that's in the business of trying to achieve equity or, you know, mm. social justice. So I think for us, what does success look like? Um, we have a range of different funders um, and we have a range of different expectations around mm. what success mm. looks like. For some mm. funders, it would just be simply more houses built or even more people in more ha the existing houses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is a metric. Mm. Um, for others, it would be systems change. We're specifically funded to deliver that. So what does that look like? Well, mm. for that particular funder, that child poverty is reduced. Yeah. Um, and obviously yeah. housing is at the very heart of mm. all of the questions around child mm. poverty. Uh, for our team, I think that success is about New Zealanders recognising a house as a home. Mm -hmm 
and our financial and political systems recognising yeah. a house yeah. as a home. Yeah. And those are really different distinctions, you know, that they're very, mm. um, sorry, different meanings. Yeah. Um, the, the, because I think when we focus on houses, we forget a little bit about the people living in them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And really that's why we get up to mm. come to work. Mm. So, for example, we're embarking on a piece of work um, led by Te Matapihi with us in support and, and around lived experience and the voices mm. of lived experience and how they, those voices can meaningfully make their way into policy. And I think that that's a really compelling way of us starting to have national dialogue yeah. about it, you know, about a house versus a home and mm. about individual aspirations and ambitions and not simply just numbers on the housing wait list, yeah. you know. And, yeah. and so that, that I think in terms of our own Mm-hmm. The reasons we come to work yeah. every day and what can be quite trying, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, you know, external circumstances yeah. is that potential that we have mm-hmm. to actually make a change. Yeah. Um, and we work alongside some great partners in that. We work. Mm-hmm. Um, we have an MOU with Building Better Homes, Towns and Cities, okay. which is a national science mm-hmm. challenge, mm-hmm. and they're really looking at perceptions of mm-hmm. of home and what the, you know the media's role and the mm-hmm. role of policy mm-hmm. and language. Mm-hmm. Um, but but certainly that's what drives us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess if you were to ask our members, they they clearly want to see better recognition of and more investment in the mm. community housing sector mm. as a critical player in solving the housing crisis. It's the bottom line for them, but they they also are really committed to human yeah. rights and, and home as opposed to housing. Mm. So they yeah. they support our aspiration as well. Mm. Yeah. yeah. There's been lots of discussions about not <clears> just the amount of housing, because that's a critical need at the moment in New Zealand nationally, mm. but the state yeah. of those Buildings. Of those houses, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, there's a different discussion, right, yeah. to be pulled together. In terms of the state of social housing, mm. in terms of the discussion that you have with your members, is mm. there a requisite expectation of, of um, quality and, and things like that? So that's emerging um, at, the, right. at the policy level, that there will be guidelines, design guidelines, that then build into you know, all future stock obviously we'll have to meet a certain standard. Mm-hmm. So that's forthcoming. As I understand it, it's been underway for a couple of years. Um, and I would say that the the problem that exists primarily for all of our housing stock uh, has, has been the maintenance or mm-hmm. the, the lack thereof over time of some of the existing stock. So the catch-up game is really significant. It's not always a matter of a simple retrofit. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. often a matter of almost a complete rebuild. Yeah. Um, so I would say it's quite uneven. I'm, I think it's really worth um, while the work that Kaima Order is doing to lead some of the work in this space. They obviously mm-hmm. have the government's balance sheet and, and a, um, a scaled up approach to being able to deliver and they're doing some great work in terms of understanding the construction innovation to deliver better housing stock but also a lot of their new housing stock is building and even some of it, it's a small slice but you know Kudos to them for the experimentation, passive house standards, which are you know extremely high standards mm. of heating and cooling and efficiency and all those things. So seems it's obvious, good. right? It you does can seem put obvious. In a nice home. <laughs> it does seem It could obvious. be very leaky, and we oh. had those yeah. issues. Yeah. Uh, so now you're putting someone in who can't afford the 
warm the home. To heat it. Yeah. Absolutely. And then they get an ill and then that creates a whole new set of issues. And it's a, so. it's a, our housing stock is a public health emergency. And yeah. COVID has yeah. absolutely made that clear. Yeah. You know, we've always, our homes are our health. Well, yeah, people are, you know, now getting sick and, and dying and in them. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, of, and we yeah. saw that acutely during the Delta outbreak. They were completely unfit for self-isolation and quarantine. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, because you know, of the timing it came around, right? Yeah. And yeah. i got to say, actually, because we've, we've lived in New Zealand for seven years now, came from the UK. Mm. And, yeah, it was one of the things that you read about before you come here mm. in, in that the houses are cold. Right, yep. just generally, and yep. and things we were used to in the UK, basic standard, standard around insulation and double glazing or heating or whatever. It's like wow, okay. And we moved here in the middle of the summer, so it's like oh, it's <laughs> fine, isn't it? It's always going to be great. It's nice and breezy in here. <laughs> and, then, and then it got to about like Anzac Day or something. Yeah. Like, that. like it's cold, oh, and, and yeah. I, I'm I'm sort of careful about how I'm sharing this because I'm coming from a position of, of privilege. privilege. Yeah. Yep. Having said that. Um, I, I remember that first winter we were here, it mm. was the coldest we've ever been in a house anywhere. And, yeah. and living in the UK, you know, we were used to it being minus five, minus 10 or whatever, and it's just lovely and warm inside. It, it, here, it wasn't even that cold. We went outside to warm up. It was just cold in the house. Yeah. And it was just <laughs> sad. It was just yeah. kind of like, this is, this is really that low-level kind of mm-hmm. miserable. You know, yeah. And um, yeah, so it, quite incredible. And And... You know, we were seeing, and I suppose we see it now through the work that I do, we was, we, what we were experiencing was right at the top end. Um, but yeah, yeah. it's yeah. incredible. And yeah. so that was one of, one of those many surprises that you get as a new yeah. arrival, arrival to a country um, that has a certain image. Um, I had yeah. the reverse experience mm. going. I lived in Italy for some time studying mm. and then working and was in, you know, I guess student digs. Mm. And it was just centrally heated and always wonderful. And I could walk around in a t-shirt. But at this point, I was in Torino in northern Italy, yeah, you know, yeah. so basically in the yeah, Alps. Yeah, yeah. I was in a t-shirt inside and couldn't, yeah. uh, just couldn't comprehend that. So absolutely, yeah. it is, we are poor by international standards. Yeah, yeah, totally. We are poor by any metric of well-being. Um, mm. And you're right, we do come from a position of privilege. We can yeah. heat our homes, but... Actually, I think the point there is that that even the most privileged have experienced really poor outcomes when it yeah. comes to our housing stock because our housing stock is universally so bad. I, yeah. I had never seen yeah. until I moved to New Zealand people wearing coats inside houses. Yeah, just yeah. as like not just because they forgot to take it off, um, yeah. but just it was a thing. I was yeah. like, oh right, okay, that's obviously what we do over here. And <laughs> right? it's like, okay, um, and and it's it's like in the UK when it gets hot for like two weeks a year and everyone goes, oh, we need to get aircon. This is ridiculous. Oh, and then it stops. And here the, the retort was kind of, well, it's only for the winter. It's 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 only for three or four months. Well, it, one day of being too cold or uncomfortable in in your home, not your house, where you mm. share space with your family, is just not enough. So yeah, it's it's been one of the things that surprised me. And then mm. I suppose we. We see and hear the stories from the learners that we help. And I suppose as well, there's the other side of it about what they've experienced in a refugee camp 15 years mm. compared to where they're now living in Dunedin or wherever. Mm. By our standards, we look at it and no, that's not right. Your landlord should be sorting that out. Yeah. But they will say, oh, no, it's fine. It's OK. So helping navigate the level of expectation that you should have as well. Yep. In terms uh, of rights and responsibilities. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So that, that plays out with us a lot. But yeah. When you say refugees and migrants, mm. is there a national statistic out there of how many 
enter the country on average per year? Yeah, there, there is, and it's all got completely skewed in the, in, in the last few years. And, um, you know, there is a quota about how many refugees should be entering, right. which I think is about 1,200 a year, or has gone back up. Okay. But we're not meeting that at the moment because... And this will change. This will change even from last Friday with the, with the border starting to open up. It, will yeah. ch- it, it was changing because there just wasn't flight routes available yeah. into New Zealand from the locations that, that refugees are located, which is often on borders and different places. And, um, and then there's a whole selection process that happens offshore about who gets invited in yeah. and, and how families try and stay together or sometimes get split and sent to different places or different countries. So it's kind of fascinating when you when you speak to people with that lived experience about the journeys that they've been on. So notwithstanding the state of our housing stock or certain cities in New Zealand that we might say, well, that's a bit grim or that's a nice place to live. Everywhere is pretty much paradise when you've spent 15 years in, in this camp and then walked for three months to get somewhere else. Yeah, and or come from a war-torn yeah, experience. And, and and I suppose when I went around the country, when I first started the role, and I'd go into classes in every centre because they always want to meet the new CEO and ask you lots of questions. And those, those were the things that they told me. Yeah. Uh, that, oh, New Zealand's paradise. And, and wanting me to thank the government. So please, please... Mr. Oh. James, come, Mr. James, please, Mr. James, thank, thank the government because we're just so happy here. Mm. And um, but yeah, you um, you get a bit of perspective as well about a, a bad day in your life, and which which I try and relate to my kids who are fourteen and fifteen. And it's like the stuff my dad used to say to me about, I "Don't know how lucky you are." And I go, "What's that even mean?" Um, what is that relative to? Yeah, yeah. I had a, a, a story last week. I was speaking to. A, we're doing a piece at the moment about. Words, why words matter about whether we should be saying former refugees or, or we're just, you're just new Kiwis or arrivals. And I was speaking to someone from Refugee Resettlement Trust. And he said, to answer your question, I'm going to tell you my story about when I was 13 and war broke out in Sudan and my parents got killed and I had a gun to my head and I ran for three months. And then I learned to survive in the jungle and I did these things and I got to Ethiopia, then I did this. And this story played out for 20 years and it had a happy ending reasonably happy ending and I just thought about a 13 year old running like that and um, and tried to sh- share that story with, with my kids that night and actually you saw that flicker of in between moaning about wi-fi or this or that or their day at school of oh and and mm. so I suppose that would be my reflection about what we do at ELP as well as we we they're not our stories but we can probably get those stories to a wider audience yeah. as well and and help to maybe influence government from a hearts and minds point of view because ultimately it comes down to numbers but also i think it's it's the emotional response that gets change yeah. and um it is it is amazing and and you know i reflect on that as a migrant to new zealand as well but through a completely different journey mm. exactly a privileged journey a, a privileged journey but even so still missing friends and family and, and that emotional pull yeah, of course. so but my journey would be a thousand times easier um yeah it's been very interesting. And how have you found that with COVID? Yeah, I mean, so, it, it's again, it's that thing of, um, you know, I really miss people in yeah. the UK at the moment. I'm going back in June. It's my third attempt to go during the pandemic. I'm thinking third time lucky. But again, I, I, I'm fortunate in that I can, I can connect with friends and family really easily. I have the means to do that, and I can do that very easily through technology. Yeah. Some of our learners can't do that, or they can't get through to that particular country because yeah. it's war-torn or yeah. 
technologies down or whatever. But um, but yeah, I'm actually feeling okay about it at the moment because I'm super excited that in 11 weeks I'm going to the UK. Something to plan for. <laughs> That's all being well, and I think it will happen. Um, and all the things that I kind of miss about being there, um, which are tiny little details. You know. Yorkshire pudding. Uh, yeah, um, yeah a pint of London Pride or oh, something like that, you know, so, yeah, little, little things like that and then getting charged five pounds for it, so all those little things. It's genuinely meaningful though because all those small things are, are like the sensory experience yeah. of home, aren't they? Yeah, the smells and the yeah. sounds and the kind of, yeah. I remember when I went back the first time like seeing an old wall somewhere in this village and thinking that's older than most things in New Zealand, that, that, yes. you know, that, so castles and different places and... Um, yeah, so I got brought up in, in North Wales, so I'm going back to North Wales as well. So there's little, there's little bits of New Zealand that I see that remind me of mm. places, but actually nothing can, nothing can better that. We're in North Wales? In Mould, so just okay. across the border. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I will go back there and, and spend some time there. So. Lovely bird. Yeah, yeah. Lovely. Yeah. I love I would, North Wales. You know, you I was, been? I've not yeah. been to Wales, okay. but I have a very good friend who is Welsh, and I yeah. feel like she was my cultural connection to mm. Wales, yeah. pop ping oh, okay. I learned. Yeah, yeah, here we go. <laughs> microwave. I was trying to remember, it's a nice word, isn't it? Yeah. I was trying to remember some Welsh. We had to do, we had to do Welsh at primary school. It's yeah. kind of compulsory. Yeah. And I hated it. Oh, um, really? But I was trying to remember, so, and I think the only thing I could remember this morning was, was something about, no, I don't like snow, which is a, which is a no dead and dim hoppy era or something like that, which is not a very helpful I can't remember phrase. snow, but no, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a helpful everyday phrase. It's like radooing coffee. Oh, yeah, that's good I one. like coffee. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. More helpful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. It's a unique place, definitely. Mm. I love uh, St. David's and yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, one of the and prettiest cities on the planet, yeah. St. David's. It's not a city, it's a town, yeah. but it's got a cathedral now. So we call if it a city. If there's a cathedral, there's um, a city, yeah, right? And a, and, a, <laughs> and a whole castle built into the whole village, essentially. It's beautiful. And, and how, have, how have you been? I've got a question for you, mm. DK. How, how have you been about, you know, we're, we're in this place, which is, I think, amazing, New Zealand, and, and so many things to be blessed and, and helpful mm. for. But not being able to just go back or mm. connect yeah, with tough. people. Just, I mean, that was part of the deal, I think, when we moved here. Was We know in 24 hours you can be anywhere in the world. Correct. And you couldn't be. So how, how have you been? Yeah, it's starting to pinch now. Yeah, yeah. It's like mm. that uncomfortable feeling you have for, like, first year. Mm. It's like, ah, oh, because... I went back in 2019. Mm. Okay. So I've been away for three years coming mm. up now. The longest time I haven't been back. Okay. So, yeah. I used to go back every year I was lucky or every other year. Mm-hmm. And I've been here 10 years now. So mm. this is the longest time. And you're right. Now it's starting to feel like a, like a pinch, like starting to really kind yeah. of twist a little bit as well. No, yeah. Like, Ooh, why is that not uncomfortable? I haven't seen the valleys and I haven't yeah. seen... Yeah. yeah. Uh, my family, my friends, and certain people in certain places, definitely. Yeah. Um, because I grew up on a side of a hill. Uh-huh. That's why Mount Victoria is good for me, because yeah. I have <laughs> a little bit of a hill, and yeah. I like going up and down things. Uh, so it's odd. It's an odd kind of... So there's a word in, in Welsh called herriath, mm-hmm. which is hard to translate out, but it's like a nostalgia Mm. for something that's not really real, but there's still an emotional response to yeah. it and a nostalgic response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Hiriath definitely sums it up for me is what I'm feeling mm. and how yeah. I'm kind of, would, yeah, definitely think about it. I have a, a yearning. Yes, I have. Yeah, I, I mm. hear For completely. a place and a set of people yeah. and a 
uh, an accent as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 It's yeah. nice just hearing your accent, actually. It's, it's yeah. just lovely to, yeah. to be in your company hearing that. Um, Appreciate that. But, yeah, I, I, I feel that yearning for place, actually. Mm. There's certain people, but there's also a lot of places that I want to go and Indeed. spend some time on my own. And, yeah. and one of them is going back to where I went to school in North Wales. For no particular reason, I just and I've just been thinking and dreaming about wow. places I walked or cycled yeah. as a kid, and I'm like, I just want to go and do that again. Yeah. Probably I'll scratch that itch within about two hours and go, oh well, <laughs> go somewhere else now. <laughs> yeah, but I know what you mean about like there's an oddness to being from, I think, the UK mm. um, because of that depth of history, the empire, yeah. the colonialism, all that wrapped up. Yeah. Also with me. And they would yeah. be class systems and oh, stuff like totally. that. Playing. Mm. Yeah. There's, there's this real messiness to being from the UK. Yeah. Mm. Because, you know, I would say I'm Welsh rather mm. than British yes. and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. All these other things going on. However, the place as well is significant. Yeah. I remember going to um, America, one of the first times I was in America, and we were sat in, I was with my folks and my bros, and we sat in a beautiful silver bullet diner. In Miami, yeah. Yeah. those beautiful silver, <laughs> like on the movies, right? Yeah, like yeah. what you just imagined or dying to be. So cool. <laughs> Wait, just came over on yeah. Kind of close to that. And then the waitress was exuberantly American. Yeah, oh, welcome. <laughs> Very enthusiastic about us being there. Picked up, we were not from around there. Started talking to us and said, never. Couldn't get her head around Wales until yeah. we mentioned Tom Jones. Got it then, right? Tom Jones, I got it, right? When you what say Wales, most people go, reference. there we go. Yeah, and I said Tom Jones, Catherine Zita Jones. All right, yeah, there we go, all the Joneses. And then she started talking about the history of the design, uh, of the diner and getting really enthusiastic about mm. it. And it was cool, right? But she was talking about this has been here since 1967, something like that, and no. getting really into it. But she did kind of keep on labouring the point a little bit <laughs> until my uh, my dad piped up and said, oh, where we grew up within 10 mile radius, there were three castles. Mm. And that's quite significant in terms of our history from a perspective of thinking about length of time. Yeah. So when you talk about like 67, <laughs> it's kind of like, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, but you're right, I grew up in a terraced house, mining yeah. village house, could, so terraced sort of houses, brick. And I think that was built in 19... 12, yeah. 1914, yeah. the house I grew up with, which my parents still live in. Yeah. Um, so again, a lot of my where I grew up was in a place. A lot of these houses weren't around. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's kind it's of a different sense yeah. of time then. Yeah, so I, I I understand what you're saying completely. Yeah. So I went to school in England, but I lived in Wales. So I went across the border every day, which okay. is no big deal really at all. But not yeah, a but big mould, but it kind like of but it there. kind of is. Um, when Culturally. you go to school in England, they go, oh, you're from Wales. Yeah. You know? and, and just get all that. It was just all those uh -huh. stupid jokes, you know. You know the ones. And it's just, yeah. It, it's and having a Scottish name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite confusing. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'd be like, yeah. So, um, so it's, it, it, it's just, yeah, hearing your accent, and I've been listening to a couple of these, of course, before this, it's mm. just like, oh, yeah, that. That voice, that voice. Yeah, I need to go back. I need to go and back. it's a different accents around Wales as well. Yeah, there it's is. just like yeah. when you travel in, in Italy, you have yeah, different yeah, yeah. regional mm. accents, right? Yeah. Uh, and in Wales, we have like a very, you know, Valley's accent and very Cardiff accent. And then North Wales has almost almost got a touch of, of Scouse in it as well, I think. Liverpool. Depends where you are, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you're right on the edge. Yeah. 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 Anyway, yeah. there we go. I wanted to ask you a question, completely mm. unrelated. Yeah, but, sure. it, but it pinged up early on sure. that you've just done six months yeah. as, the, as the CE. Yeah. And it might not be the same for you, but 
I mean, I, I wrote a piece once when I was in one of my CE roles about how six months is the pit of despair. <laughs> <laughs> might, might or might not be, just putting it out there. Um, and that's because you're not new anymore. Yeah. Okay. Uh, right. Um, so, so the mm. you know the shine's gone off, um, mm. probably from all sides. But it's but also you haven't been there long enough to really mm. to do the things you want to do, mm. and and to make the change that you want to make, and also to figure out. Yeah, I like that thing of what am I actually going to do here? Yeah. And the weird thing about a CE role is you can do anything. Yeah. Actually, yeah. you can design it yourself. Mm. As long as you kind of bring people along on that journey. So I wanted mm. to just sort of check in with you and see how. Yeah, this is probably the catch-up we've been meaning to have for months. Yeah, it's it's right, it's wonderful. (laughs) So thanks, DK. We're just recording here, that's all. (laughs) Just just, there's an audience. I'm just multitasking, basically. You've got a cup of coffee. Um, (laughs) Look, actually, it's not entirely unrelated to what you were just talking Mm. about because we are constantly, aren't we, going through a process of identity formation Mm. and you talking about your cultural identities. I think... Pākehā New Zealanders are at a particular point Mm. of quite critical identity formation. Um, And our housing system is at a critical point of Mm. identity formation. Um, And I see where I'm at six months and is related to both of those things. So, you know, how we genuinely fulfil commitment to being a treaty partner Mm. and what that looks like Mm -hmm. beyond words on paper. It's kind of top of mind for Mm. me. Um, given that in terms of those experiencing homelessness, it's dominated mm-hmm. by Māori. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, who are we serving, yeah, <laughs> you know, as yeah. an organisation? Mm. Um, and and then I think in terms of our housing ecosystem, all of the things we've just talked about. Look, my husband's a builder. Mm-hmm. My parents are in the trades. Mm. Um, there's so much on, in that realm you know talking about Mm. the types of housing we build and all of those things that is changing needs to change Mm. um and and we're we're kind of caught up in that as a community housing sector and so um that identity of having our own singular homes on a singular section (laughs) that we own is changing yeah um so i've been thinking about all of those things actually in the last Mm. couple of months which feel really big but they they funnel down into that really good question you just asked of what do you want to do and how do you kind of feel um Mm. i feel um you're right i think it is a particularly difficult time because you've probably i've seen now i've been able to grapple with what what's come before, mm-hmm. understand the landscape, understand yeah. the people in it, um, make my own judgments or assessments. Yeah, um, yeah. But in terms of in terms of how to affect change um, or to change maybe what needs to be changed, because there's mm. a lot that's actually just requires support. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, mm. uh, I think that... COVID is a really interesting spanner in the works in all of that because <laughs> yeah. you start a meeting and we're going, we say, okay, so this is not going to be about COVID. And within 10 minutes, like our conversation, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's back to that. Yeah, and so, so where I'm at, my key reflection, this is a very long-winded way of answering <laughs> question, is how do we use the moment we're in and the mindset we have as a catalyst yeah. for some of the changes we know we need to see, particularly at that systems level. Mm-hmm. Um, so that when we the, hand, the COVID handbrake is kind of off some yeah, of the yeah, business yeah. as usual stuff, we're primed in terms of our mindset yeah. for a different way of working. And I think, you know, even as an example, some of our housing providers, 
in Tamaki have been, because of how short staff they mm. are with COVID, have been unable to do their normal um, check-ins on their mm. residence or mm. property inspections. So they've been um, working with their residents through FaceTime to yeah, go, OK, yeah. we're going to empower you to show us yeah. around. Mm. There's trust there yeah, that you're yeah, going to show us all the things we need to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, there's... Yeah. Um, there's still the ability to do a well-being check-in with you because yeah. we know sometimes we're the only person that you mm-hmm. see, so we want you to make you know to be yeah, able to have yeah, that contact. Yeah. And it's actually quite a yeah, it's quite an empowering model of how, rather mm. than someone coming in and taking the list and yeah. it's like mm. here you show me your your mm. home and mm. show me what you need yeah. help with or what you know you might need to point out. And so even for me that triggers okay, well what does that model look like after COVID? You yeah, know what in yeah. that kind of how do we build on these things we've been learning and we know we're now capable of doing and Mm. right back to your point Mm. around the fact that because you had to go online you just did it it. and actually it's proved to be better in many ways so what what does that look like for equity yeah Yeah. and and how much of a big deal we make about this stuff as well I think really matters I've I've learned that a lot probably in this role in that if you make it seem like a big deal it will be a big deal so what you've just described is brilliant and so so i think there's those ce clogs turning about okay <laughs> what else can we do with that model that would be really good yeah and i'm and i've just learned and i suppose it's just that battery level or well-being level that people have generally at the moment is to is to just gently nudge that along rather than going right we can make everything online then it's great this uh, isn't it and i'm quite guilty of, <laughs> yeah, of like, and we can once, launch it with a big thing and we yeah can, we can get a watch this <laughs> once i pick up pace i can i i become a bit of a sprinter like if yeah, i've yeah. got momentum i can become yeah. a little bit my energy can be a bit overwhelming and mm. i actually on my first day as in this role, I said to the team, if I ever start overwhelming you, you have the space and the permission now to pull me up, you know, yeah, really yeah. clearly and firmly that I'm bre- bre- breaching your boundaries or draining your battery or however you want to put it. And I just know that about myself. I get, mm. I, I see things and I go, and I can already see how that can come about. And so I get really energetic, um, which can be overwhelming. And so I've had to be really conscious of going, Apart from me, there are seven other people doing yeah. all of the stuff, and some of them are have been in Auckland in lockdown for months, you know, and, and all of those it's things. Tricky, so, right? Isn't yeah, it? And, it, yeah. And, and and I suppose it's that <coughs> calibration that we have, I yeah. suppose, of trying to move things along and, and 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 achieve things from an agenda versus yeah, long game. Yeah, long game is hard. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> um, yeah, and also just balancing how we're feeling as well. Yeah. So, and yeah. all of that cognitive load is happening before we even do the, the work that we thought was, we were going to do. That's at the second coffee at eight. Yeah, that's right. So that's my cycle in. I'm going. All those thoughts I'm having before I've even sat down. Getting and gone, the kids' what, shoes what on. What am I actually going to do today? Yeah, yeah. That's going to make a difference. And um, and how am I going to how am I going to make things better whilst I'm whilst I'm there? And I guess there's that thing for me. In all the roles I've done, I'm very deliberately just passing through. Mm. So you know, that passing through could be for years, of course, yeah. but by definition it's temporary. So how do I make it better whilst I'm there and, yeah. and make it easier for the next person, hopefully as well? Yeah. Um, but but speaking like that isn't. I've learned that's not comfortable for everyone because that implies a lack of permanence, lack of commitment, and, and it's like, yeah. oh, well, there we go. If, you, well, if you're talking like that, we might, we might as well just not share things. Well, mm. that that. that Temporary could be 10 years. Yeah. Um, but there's also no point in, in denying that everything is temporary. And it should be about the mission, right? Not the yeah. person. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, it doesn't I had, really matter. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I had someone say to me, I really hope that you, you know, you're not going to be about 
basically self-promotion in this role the other day when I was he was a reference for a candidate and I was like I don't think so thinking have I given that impression you know but I get get what he meant he was kind of like remember it's always about the the people not the job um you know or about the role as it is in terms of the organization not you in the role which I thought was a really good it is yeah Yeah. And, and I think because part of our roles I'm sure it's the same in both our roles, is that outward-facing piece as well, which you've been, you've been talking about. Mm. It's that balance of, I'm doing this on behalf of my organisation, on behalf of our learners, on behalf of the stories I'm sharing. Mm. It just happens I'm, I'm sharing this. It could be anyone from yeah. the organisation or it could be anyone doing this role. But it's, and I think it's having those trusted people around you, as mm. you, you said, tell me. If that doesn't feel like the case, tell me at mm. any time. And mm. um, yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. But I'm also interested in not what you're doing at the moment. Both of you have mm. a kind of a, a deeper checkered history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A checkered past. Oh, that's I right. Know. I had a life before this job. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Remember that? I think they call it a portfolio code. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's right. Thank you for that. That's what I frame it as when people ask me, so what have you done? Okay, sit down. Well, what haven't I done then? Yeah. Um, but it's interesting both your roots to where you are. Yeah. Because if you actually remove your title and your positions at the moment, mm, you wouldn't mm. guess it. Mm. And that's not a detriment mm. to where you are. That's just interesting for me. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering, in terms of reflecting back where you are now, how has what you've experienced informed what you're doing? Or is this as much as a surprise to you? <laughs> sometimes it can be, right? It's like, shit, I've grown up, I'm an adult then, got a proper job. <laughs> it's like, what happened? They used yeah. to be fun. <laughs> now I've got Netflix <laughs> yeah, and my job. On a good day, we got it. It's all right. Yeah. Wow. I've done all sorts of things, right? Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, so I was a gardener, I was a landscape architect, I was... Mm-hmm. Um, superintendent, sir. Superintendent, yeah. I so uh, yeah, I, I, um, I guess there is a kind of common thread which is about mm. helping people and it's kind of community-focused. So they're all mm. roles that, um, that I think mean something. Mm. So um, if I was describing it around the kitchen table or was with friends or whatever, people would get within a couple of sentences, oh, that's a cool thing. Whereas I've got friends... In roles at the moment, even after they explain it for half an hour, I'm going, I really don't know what that means. I, I can't get yeah. that. So I, um, I was going to be an accountant. Um, <laughs> this was in Mould. This was in North Wales, right? So I was about to go to uni to go to Liverpool Uni to do that. Okay. And I had a summer job as a gardener. And I just loved that job. This was just in Mould, right? And um, summertime, it's a great job, to, time to be a gardener. Yeah. Wow, I yeah. wish I could do this forever. Mm. And I had a great careers officer when they sort of existed and were really around help. She said, oh, you can actually study this. You can do it as a thing. Horticulture. Ooh, okay. So I switched and did that. And then I did landscape design um, at Leeds Uni. And then I worked for years in local government because most times you work in local authority if you manage parks and, and recreation and that sort of stuff. It was cool. It was really good fun. And then when I was about 27, I saw a job which was superintendent of parks and gardens for the City of London. I was like, wow, this is the job. You know, I'm going to do that just before I retire. So I'll apply for it. And this is how long ago it was. Someone said to me, well, for the price of a stamp, you can find out. Price of a stamp, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and posted it off. And I've got to cut a long story short, but, it, but I thought I won't get an interview. I won't get the job. But I, at least I can phone up and say, what do I need to do for the next 20 years to get an interview for a job like this? And I got the interview and got the job, 
So uh, it must have been some sort of admin error, but um, <laughs> there I was uh, on, day, on day one. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was great. So that was like an amazing thing at age 27, suddenly had 150 yeah. staff. It's and, huge. Um, first event we did was the Queen's Golden Jubilee. You know, we did all the flowers for that. I remember taking my mum round. There was the throne. There was everything set up for lunch the next day. And I remember my dad saying to me, actually, how the hell did you end up doing this? <laughs> <laughs> Some sort of error. Um, but, but I had six amazing years doing that. Um, you know, six amazing but also really confronting years managing parks in East London, which was back then the murder capital of, of Europe, a yeah. little square mile that we had. And mm. so saw some horrible things and experienced some tricky things. We were there for 7-7, seven, seven, so we managed the parks in Oldgate, where um, one of the bombs went off. So all of those different things happened. Massive learning experience. Mm. Um, but then we had kids, and so um, we moved out of London and did the same sort of thing, but for a big charity up in mm-hmm. Cambridgeshire. And that sort of switched me from doing that to becoming a CE, and the charity just happened to do parks. Right. And then, and then I was away, so I was like, right. I, and when I came to New Zealand... Um, I was an interim CEO of a mental health charity and then into learning and development for some reason, and then this. So I guess um, I guess the answer is just always say yes. You know, if yeah. there's something that sort of appeals to the heart, you know, the head just generally follows. Yeah. So um, had some amazing adventures. So yeah. what brought you to New Zealand, a job or your missus? Or uh, uh, so my wife's family from New Zealand, um, although her mum and dad live in the UK. Um, okay. But all of her cousins and uncles and aunts are here. We've got yeah. more family here than the UK. And we just came here a few times um, when it was the two of us and loved it. And then we came here with the boys eight or nine years ago and they were quite tiny, uh, four and five, and had the most amazing Christmas because it's sunny, isn't it, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, this is paradise. It's almost yeah. like this. Uh, all the houses are so warm. This is incredible, right? <laughs> What's the <Yeah>. problem? <laughs> and, um, and we decided we wanted we want to live here. Mm. And I remember we made that decision as a family, I think, on, on Boxing Day and... Um, and I think it was my youngest then said, uh, I said, oh, the th- thing is about moving here, you have to leave everything behind and, and make new friends. Mm. And he said, that's all right, I'll just make new friends. And I thought, well, so will we. So a year later, we arrived with our wow, container. That's a great commitment. And, um, and that's hard telling people, you know, that you're leaving, like grandparents, yeah. so both sets of grandparents, we're oh, going. Yeah. And actually, my brother had just left three months before that to go to Brunei. With, so, so my mum's got They've got five grandchildren. All grandchildren went offshore. Uh, so we all left. And, uh, but my parents have been great. They've been out here a few times. So, but for us, it was the... I got a great sort of sense of spirit of adventure from my mum and dad. They were £10 poms. So I was born in Australia. That's another story for another day. Um, so they got it. They were like, no, you've got to go and just do this thing. It will be amazing. And for our grandchildren, it will be amazing as well. Um, so that was the story. But, That's great. Um, yeah, I, I joke about that. I, I say that to my team sometimes that, yeah, my background is in landscape architecture. Of course it is. It makes me perfectly qualified to, to what for English languages and migrants. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what else would the background be? Um, but yeah, I think it's going back to that serial CE thing, yeah. which is as long as the cause resonates, mm. it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, I can get into it and try and help some people along the way. I love that. Anyway, that's a long answer. Well, let's, oh, let's, hear about, answer. let's hear that's about it. That's a wonderful answer. Um, I am here because I consciously chose to deviate from all of my long-held life plans at a really critical juncture. <laughs> so from the age of 
I don't know, 12 or something, I knew I either wanted to be a war journalist or a geologist. And I kind of followed that right through yeah. university. I, well, I went to um, university and I did... Uh, started out doing law and arts, but within my arts degree, I was doing geography, so earth sciences as well mm. as human geography, and um, the kind of usual artsy politics mm. type mm. topics, um, as well as law. I very quickly realised that law was not for me. Mm. Um, I had a great job as a legal secretary to an independent barrister on Cuba Street, and we just sat and kind of watched Cuba Street go by <laughs> a lot of the time. Um, but even that experience, um, whilst it was great, made me realise that law was probably not my track. Mm. So I, I pulled out of second-year law, um, but carried on with my with my um, arts progress. So I ended up with an honours degree in international relations and went down the oh. went down the the war journalist path, wow. as I'll put it, rather than the geologist path. So mm. f- you know, forwent earth sciences, but did get a minor in geography. So <clears throat> then I went to study in Italy. Um, John Ho- Hopkins University have mm. a campus in Italy, wow. so it was like awesome. I could go <laughs> to a really good American university, but in Italy, um, wow. and it's specifically focused on uh, strategic studies, Mm. peace and security. Um, So an outfit called the Peace and Security Institute ran a a short-term program specifically focused on things like uh, negotiation during Mm. conflict. So we were running parallel, what what would you call them? Um, uh, We were simulating things Mm. like the Dayton Accord and and other kind of agreements Um, and so it was a huge international group um, Mm. of people from all over the world coming together to I think it was for two months Mm. in Italy during summer (laughs) in Bologna which is a student town so it was lots of fun Mm -hmm. Um, and from there um, I decided that I really liked or was very interested in pursuing the communications part but potentially not so much from the on the ground piece I was interested in understanding how the emerging forms of um, communication, like mm-hmm. social media, were wow. creating movements for change. So I enrolled um, to go to the LSE, London School of mm. Economics, and do a master's in global communication. So there we go. I was on my way. All of these plans coming true. I'd worked really hard, and of course, it was nothing to do with my privilege and all to do with my hard work. So anyway, we, I get to the UK, and bad things happen there. And then mm. my dad also had a... Um, a nearly critical, you know, nearly fatal mm. motorbike accident back mm. here in New Zealand. Oh. And I realised that, you know, and this is really probably relevant in mm. the times that we're in, that it wasn't going to actually be that easy to get home on a student income yeah. Yeah, with right. the expectations I had in terms of um, my degree. Mm-hmm. And my dad was, you know, at this point in an induced coma and, mm. and my mum and my sister kind of carrying that. And I th- had to make this choice around are things is this grass really so green mm. that I don't want to be there at yeah. a time when my family you know so needs me my family who has sacrificed to enable me to be here actually mm. um, and and you know really proud of me first in our family to go to university so it was very kind of mm. fitted and so it was a big choice because it was yeah. about family expectations as well as my own mm. expectations but I just decided that actually yeah my my being close within your yeah, arm's yeah. reach to my whānau yeah, was, yeah. was what I needed to do. Mm. So I came back here. I had no plan. I just cancelled all my plans. Um, all my, you know, <laughs> just cross them out, move on. Um, and I went, what am I going to do? I don't want to go back to Wellington yet because I studied here. Mm. I could get into the policy world and the, but no. it wasn't where I, I knew I wanted to be at that point. Um, my friends were doing really well there, yeah. but it wasn't me right then. 
So I thought, I've never lived in the South Island, I'll move to Queenstown. So I did. I picked up my Toyota Corolla and drove from Hawke's Bay to Queenstown um, in the middle of winter. <laughs> I'd never saw Aoraki because it was so foggy the entire way. Um, and I worked there in risk management for the screen sector. So I worked in the film industry and we were looking after primarily US productions mm. traveling overseas. And so um, my bosses hired me because they were like, oh, geopolitical background. We're often writing security reports and we actually... Um, managed um, security teams mm. who were looking after talent on okay. the ground. Yeah. Um, but we also did lots like um, safety if you were climbing a mountain or yeah. jumping out of a helicopter or wow. <laughs> all of that Which kind is, of stuff. Cool. So I had a range of experiences there. Um, I worked on a Bear Grylls production in mm. Wanaka and mm. met Bear and all his team, some <laughs> of whom were interesting. Um, <laughs> I supported Anthony Bourdain's team going to post-revolution Libya. We wow. managed the security team that looked after him there yeah. um, and had a little bit to do with his immediate crew. So obviously he was you know, really saddened when he died. Mm. Um, we looked after survival shows, all of the ones you can probably think yeah. of, reality shows. Um, when I was eight months pregnant, I was the risk manager for something called Born in the Wild, which okay. is exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, so it was this, but it was this amazing thing because I could live in Queenstown yeah. And kind of actually heal is how I would put it and go yeah. heal or reconcile with the fact that, you know, all these plans that yeah. was done now yeah. and I'd made a choice and this is the path I was You're on. So path. I've never really made a plan since yeah, yeah, I yeah. met my now husband. Mm-hmm. We had a kid. He's yeah. a local. Yeah. We hung out there for seven years. Um, I <laughs> freelanced and ended up working again in communications quite a bit, but also a little bit in housing in Queenstown, yeah. which was my first connection into housing, uh, okay. um, and met some fantastic people there working towards um, a change for Queenstown in terms of economic mm, diversification mm. and conversations about sustainability and those things. Um, and then uh, I ended up working for an electricity retailer startup, Flick Electric, as their comms oh, yeah, manager. Yeah. Um, their chief marketing officer had mentored me in a program, and, and when the role sort of, they realised they needed the role, she said, would you do this for us? And I said, can I do it in Queenstown for a year? And she said, yep. <laughs> so, um, but the, but I moved, we moved to Wellington, and mm. so a year and from there. So that's how I ended up in the energy sector. But frankly, you know, I've realised quite young, Mm. by the age of 23, that the best laid plans are often need yeah. to be completely thrown up, you yeah. know, torn up and thrown yeah, out the window. Yeah, totally, totally. And, and I think being able to embrace and adapt has actually stood me in really good stead for the role yeah. I'm in today because I've just been able to yeah. to flex but not break, I guess, yeah. when it comes to nice. all of the different things that have happened along the way, kids and juggling yeah. and change and all those things. And, it, and, and it's out of necessity, isn't it? It's yeah. like actually because we have to. Yeah. And um, I suppose I found that when we moved here that I just, I need a job yeah. as well. That There's yeah. lots of things that I was doing in the UK that I might have liked yeah. to do, but part of the attraction of coming to this country is it's a lot smaller. It's 60 million less people. Well, that's great because... It was really annoying me that it was really busy everywhere in the yeah. UK. Well, that means there's also less variety of jobs. Yeah. And if you're going to move to, even though it's the capital, a pretty tiny place, mm. which is part of its attraction, yeah. yeah, there's going to be less choice. That's right. So just kind of go with that, really. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter. And yeah. then there's a, 
a weird thing about New Zealand experience as well, which is tricky. You know? yep. So it doesn't really matter what you were doing offshore. Um, it you is might, tricky. You, you might as well start again. Yeah. Um, yep. And then, you know, have to convince people of that. So that, yeah. that I found quite, quite hard. Yeah. The, the ego bit of me was like, oh. um, but yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's part of the adventure. That's right. And, and, you know, as we used to say when we first came here, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Yeah. It's not easy. It makes big... And, and that's, you get that thing, people back in the UK are offshore. Oh, you're so lucky to live in New Zealand. I was like, well, yeah, we are, but it was a choice. Yeah. It was a conscious choice to do this. And there's many bits of and it And we that, still have that, to navigate that, hard that, things. That, that are hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, was, you had to sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah, and you have to leave some Distance things behind. And, yeah. And, um, but for, for yourself and your little family unit, it's the yeah. best thing, so that's really all that matters. Actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's. It's. I think our life takes twists and turns, yeah. and our jobs do as well. And I don't think it really matters. And I'm having this conversation with with our two boys at the moment because they're 14, 15, mm. about uni and all sorts of things. And and my view is it doesn't really matter. I don't care whether you go or you don't go or you mm. go in later life. And I think that's probably changed in the last 10, 15 years. I know enough yeah. people who've come out of uni in the last few years with great qualifications and can't get a job. And no and just a hundred thousand dollars of debt. Yep. And uh, or people have done a different route and had an amazing time. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah. And um, so we'll see we'll see what happens with that. But um, yeah, I think one of my regrets is I rushed rushed into uni, you know, mm. rushed into this, then did this and yeah. you know, applied for that job at twenty seven and and probably there was no time within that to go I should just take two years out and just travel around and do different things. Because I was well, is this time. the path I really want to go on? Yeah, right. that's right. Mm. But um, yeah, life takes those twists and turns. But uh, mm. that's life. Yeah, mm. it's yeah. great. It's one of the things, though, to be fluid. What you said mm. about flexing but not breaking. Mm. Mm. I think that's real key to to just not just success, whatever you define it as, but also the car, the acceptance of things are going to change constantly. Change is the only. Kind of yeah, constant. Yeah. yeah. It really is. I, I, um, I adore my husband. <laughs> I, I feel like a however husband. coming on. <laughs> no, no, no. And, oh, so just and, and, and oh, one of the okay. reasons... Okay, I, that's no, nice. No, Cheers for you. Yeah, thanks one for of the reasons I adore oh, him sorry. is that he's able to take each day as it comes. And I've had to learn Brilliant that. Brilliant attitude. Yeah. You know, I, so, you know, saying that, that it changes the only constant... I've had to, I've had to learn and 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 you know actually have a really disruptive event in my life to mm. to facilitate a learning experience around change being the only constant and and embrace that now. Mm. But it's taken me a long time. It's inbuilt into his personality, and I always used to think, you know, if we have kids, which we have, I hope that they have that level of resilience actually to go. Okay, I'm waking up. It's a new yeah. day, and it might be different, but I can I can yeah. deal with that. I just yeah. think that it's quite an amazing. Um, trait and it is you know as we've navigated as with little kids through this uncertain time um has been great to know that there's someone in the house who's like all right it's a new door then we can we can deal with whatever happens yeah it's a new chance new (laughs) opportunity new page yeah yeah Yeah. and seeing the positive side to that as well you know and i and i think that that's the thing that's would serves us all well at the moment is the idea of planning anything yeah. Everything comes with that caveat at the moment, doesn't it? Very loose. Even, even you know, <laughs> me going to the UK, I have to add at the end to it that unsaid sort of, yeah. well, if everything goes to plan, you know, if everything's yeah. okay. And, and that goes for, a, you know, whether we'll meet friends this weekend or whatever. It's, everything's got that thing on it at the moment. Mm. Or whether we'll gather as a team this month in person or whether we'll do this yeah. or that. I am seeing, though, the negative impact mm. of that a lot in my mates and family and, and other people. 
just the level of anxiety of yeah. you know and closed inness. Mm. The people aren't then planning for good things that are good for them. Yeah. You know, and yeah. not putting things in the diary right. and and work as well mm. is, you know, being pushed and in my sector in the event yeah, sector, you know, yeah. totally so, nearly wiped out, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a tough thing if you're working on anything that has anything beyond like a week or two. In other words, events, if you're running events, and that could take seven or eight months to plan, yeah. right? Um, I, so, I, no. I think some of that here in New Zealand, and I suppose having family overseas and you follow different news stories and the way things play out, yeah. there is still this shock adjustment that we're going through mm. here in this country at the moment about, yeah. well, we shut down a whole city and a whole country for one case. I know that was... Delta versus Omicron or whatever. We're not going to talk about COVID too much now. But um, I think it's a well-being response as well, which is like, oh, it's everywhere at the moment. And yeah. and and this realisation that was, you know, one of our team got really sick over the weekend and he's tested positive yesterday. And it's and, and ironically, he's the guy that's worked on all of our policy for it. And, uh, and, I, and I messaged him and said, this is amazing commitment. Not only have you done this, you're, you're the first one in our team. That's, love, <laughs> love your, you love your rigor. You're, you're, if you can tell us, and I love, I love the messages people are putting on Teams this morning about it. You can tell us what it's like and you can do it. Um, and, and I said to him, you know, someone's got to be first out of our little team yeah. at national office. There'll be others that will follow in the next yeah. few days. Um, but it was remembering, of course, that despite all the news about it, it's also an illness mm. and he's feeling really, really, really horrible. And the people yep. that I know have got it at the moment have been in bed for a week. And it's yeah. like, right. we've been conditioned to think kind of, oh, it's going to be bad. Oh, no, it's not that bad. But it is also, you know, who wants a bad cold? But it's just all of that thing about, I think it's all happened so fast. Mm. And then if you overlay that to the fact that I suppose where we're both based, because we're both in that same building, across the road there's been... Unbelievable and amazing things. And all sorts <gasps> yeah. of confronting things happened in the last three weeks as well. Yeah. So I think we all just need a bit of time just to, you know, and where are we? We're just at the beginning of March. So it's like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like those memes that get kept going on around social media. Like every couple of months, there'll be a meme going, so who had, you know, violent protests at the uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, kind of uh, yeah. parliament? Or who had Russia yeah. invading Ukraine yeah, yeah. for the, the bingo, right? The future bingo yeah, stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah, everything seems to be a surprise and I, I hate to quote a, a Russian a dictator or an effect at a time like now but the the quote from Lenin is really apt you know mm. sometimes um it takes a, you know a decade happens in a week yeah, yeah, <laughs> and sometimes yeah, a, it takes a week happens in a decade but certainly it feels yeah. like decades are happening in, in right weeks right now that feels really yeah. apt that um yeah we're in early March and, yeah. and we're grappling with you know, societal disruption yeah. in multiple forms and, and yeah. a, glo- a shake-up of the global world order. Yeah. <laughs> and we're in a newsfeed cycle that is so constant that it's so hard to escape from in one form or another. I, I want yeah. to ask you a question about that. Mm. I'll ask both of you a question about that, actually. Mm. But I, I'll, I'll preface it with a little bit of optimism, which I've been saying a lot for the last few days, and people seem to resonate with this. 2022 will get better with age. <laughs> okay? yeah. It will. It's gonna like last year started really well and ended, and it was really positive and we were and we're gonna get our vaccinations, everything's gonna be great. Then they t- that turned into mandates and divisive stuff. Um I think last year got harder. I mm. think this year started really hard, but it will get better and better. And and being in New Zealand the best thing is we're rewarded with a summer right at the end of it as well. Yeah. So it's gonna be great. It's gonna be a great year eventually. Um but I suppose you know how particularly sort of six months into the role, I'm 18 months in, navigating that kind of well-being thing, mm. 
And I find myself, we do like a, a weekly thing that goes out to all the team, and I wrote it this morning, and I, it's always at the moment well-being messages for me, and I'm trying to find new ways of saying that, mm. because I mean it, but without it just being the thing that I'm saying all the time. So how, how do we actually manage well-being across our teams and ourselves Yeah, when it's without it becoming just wallpaper, without it just becoming a, a, a tried-and-tested message? It's really tricky. So I, I'd love to know what you reckon as well. How do we... How do we how do we lead self before lead others? All those sort of cliches when we're literally looking out the window of, of our office, seeing those things unfolding. So it's quite tricky. And yeah. I don't know the answer. Did you want to start here? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> you were so like, there's no answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. I don't think there's an obvious answer no. to it because of there's this messy thing called a human involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and there's always. several of them. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you get, and it's just mess, isn't it? Because mm. we're all so different. And yeah. we're also obviously similar as well mm. in terms of what we need. But we display it differently. We have different language sets. We have a diverse mm. way of thinking about yeah. certain things. Someone will watch what we watched and probably not have a smart yeah. reaction. and goes, oh, that's what the world is. Yeah. Uh, and other people will just think that's the worst thing since sliced bread, right? Yeah. So I think well-being is, is important. However, it's so bloody complicated because yeah. we all have a different response to what makes me feel yes. safe calm, yeah. nurtured, yeah. Mm. you know, cultivated in terms of being heard and all these other yeah. things. So, yeah, for me, it's quite simple. Uh, it's just I want to be heard, yeah. I want to be seen, I want to mm. be created a space so I can play because play is important mm. as, for me to learn and create and things like that. Other people don't need that. They need what you are doing, yeah. which is to write them stuff, to, to lead them and show them this mm. good news, you know, that's going out there. There's mm. beautiful sites now popping up just featuring good news or this week in science, what yes. we've learned, what yeah. we've achieved, yeah. what we're getting closer to, stuff like that. And throwing that into the mix, people need. Mm. So become a, more of a curator yeah. of good things and feed them with, yeah, and balance yeah. it, I suppose, yeah. with, yeah, okay, yeah. there's a reality of what you just described with mm. things. And it's just like, that's the reality. We're not turning away from that. Mm. However, it's not the world mm. because even this, isn't it? important experience for me again in a room with people mm. that I want to sit down with versus as well you know also holding in the back of my mind the anxiety of maybe traveling mm. back to the UK again mm. this year it's like yeah. it's a bit scary because mm. yeah so there's yeah it's messy yeah, it is I don't think there's one answer yeah. so I, I'll I'll embrace that messiness yeah over yeah. you Vic <laughs> no I like that embracing the messiness <laughs> I um I I guess I would completely agree. It's, it's actually really hard and it's hard not to sound rote. Yeah, you know, yeah, and I, yeah, I yeah. even said to the team on Friday at our weekly retrospective mm. kind of meeting, look, I'm going to sound a bit naff here, but we're going to have enforced positivity today. We're only going to talk about the things that have gone well. <laughs> and you can talk to me after about the things that didn't go so well that I might need to help you with. Um, but, but no, I think two think key things for me, and I learned... I learned one in particular from a really, really great leader that I had at a previous organisation, and that's transparency mm. around where you're at. Yeah. Um, I always say to my team, I'm going to share things with you within the bounds of you know reasonable mm. um, communication, but I don't expect you, if that's not you, to mm. share them back. But you know, here's where I'm at after my morning with my kids. Yeah. Here's where my kids are at because there's yeah. COVID at the school. Here, you know, yeah. and a sense of like I've got all that stuff going on in my mm. life too, mm -hmm. and. There might be things in there that that you can relate to and mm -hmm. that you know mm -hmm. that give you a sense yeah. that you're not alone and transparency as well around um the expectation that we just simply 
are making it day by day at the yeah. moment yeah. and that's okay. that's okay you know as your yeah. boss I do not expect you to deliver yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because I just know actually right now some days might just be like if we've given extra COVID leave and I'm like actually you might feel well after day five but you might want to take five to ten just like going whoa yeah, I'm just yeah, gonna yeah. stay in bed yeah. <laughs> you know just I'm adjust in every to sense. this in you know every that's sense. right yeah. and I think the second thing um is we have a mix of faiths in our, even mm-hmm. our very small team mm. or spiritual practices. Okay. So recognizing those and taking aspects of those to build into our the way our team functions. Mm-hmm. And I, I joked the closest thing I've, I've come to a, a faith is stoicism. And, and um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> share a love of that, that with my husband so we can at least kind of relate to but but and so But even then, like building and mm. thinking and practices. So... Um, mm. sharing words, that, yeah. sharing recipes, karakia, you know, yeah, all definitely. of those things. So we're quite fortunate that in a very small team we've got all different approaches to that so mm. we can share and kind yeah. of build knowledge. But I found that quite grounding, even yeah. even sharing karakia or yeah. prayer or words that are about breathing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, know, yeah, yeah. you start the meeting like that and you go, okay, actually... Yes, good. breathe in yeah. and out. That's good. Good start. We yeah, can yeah. go from there. So always but, keep breathing, right? Yeah, always keep breathing. yeah, yeah. Just that's keep right. breathing. And create that you space for yourself. Yeah. I, I think. Um, yeah. Thank you, both of you, because I think it's about constant experimentation, isn't mm. it? You know, there's there's things that we sort of throw out there as 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 leaders and and colleagues and friends that that sometimes resonate, and there's things that don't. And you sometimes think, oh, that went that that seemed to help people. I'll do more of yeah. that. That seemed to be the opposite. I won't do that again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, it yeah. but it doesn't really matter because yeah. tomorrow's a new day. You know. And, it's, but it's I also want to celebrate the mm. idea that you keep doing it. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. probably you don't get the feedback that yeah. it is having a good impact. Yeah. It, you get it like weeks or months later yeah exactly. you know when you bump into someone and they said oh there, there was a thing you wrote last year that was really yeah. funny really or resonated it, it, or, like, oh yeah. right okay i didn't didn't know and um i think you have that actually with kids sometimes i mean we've got two teenagers and you don't know what stuff goes in but then yeah. a few weeks later <laughs> one of them quotes something back at you said you're like oh yes you were listening <laughs> you were that's listening. so good <laughs> yeah. yeah but it also reminds you that that you have that precious audience all the time and yeah. there's i think and i think there's a silly Badge yep. that goes with CE. The first time yep. I was ever a CE, I had a great coach in London, and he said, "Oh, people will now talk to you differently." Mm. I said, well, "Why?" Oh, because you've got that stupid title now, and it's just that thing. And yeah. I and I guess what current times, even recent times, like last week today, yeah. does as well is brings back in that human factor, which is always there. Yeah. Which is, yeah, I'm struggling with this today, or. Yeah, I felt pretty scared when I walked to work this morning or we're yeah. hearing that noise from across at the parliament and the protest and the occupation. That's quite confronting. Yeah. Um, and we had an experience, I think, in our office with um, all sorts of different nationalities, all sorts of different backgrounds, but um, the team members from China found the protest really difficult because they're like, right. this... this these doesn't don't, happen. These, they, well, they don't. Well, they do happen, but they don't end well. Right. Uh, generally, in terms of state uh, enforcement, yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah. So, just what will happen, or what will go? And, yeah. and I noticed as well. Fear-based response. I think you know all of us have, have lived and worked overseas, but colleagues that hadn't found it very confronting to see oh, 300 police officers with shields walking down the street, yeah. and I'm thinking, oh, that was kind of every day in central London, obviously when there's a football match. Or yeah, 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 just, yeah. It's just kind of what happens, but. Some people have never seen that. Yeah. And it's remembering that as well. Yeah. Oh, that, that in itself is deeply alarming yeah. as well. So, yeah. um, totally. 
Yeah. In the juxtaposition, mm. my, I wasn't there on the final day, but um, two of my colleagues were, and then we, we all went out for a team dinner afterwards to farewell someone, and they said they were looking down onto Lampton Quay, and all oh, hell was breaking loose mm. in the fires, and then they were looking to the terrace, which we can see at our other window, and people were like strolling along, <laughs> like it was a <laughs> regular wow. day. Getting their coffee, just like going. the literal juxtaposition, yeah. you know. It's two different film sets. <laughs> yeah, of our society yeah. right now. I wonder if someone did do a pan <laughs> shot, that would yeah. be just yeah, yeah yeah so just even wow. that your mind couldn't quite visually That's cope like with the cognitive dissonance, the cognitive dissonance of what right. you're seeing yeah i'm yeah. aware of time mm, thank uh, you and and wrapping it up and not keeping you away from your good lives but in terms of wrapping it up it's always good to frame a question to end with sure. do any of you got a question because i got one but i want have you got a good question to wrap it up for all of us I've asked a couple of my my okay. ones that I wrote down. So we've been a long time. I'm very happy yeah. um, where, where we've gone. Yeah, all cool. over the place. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about then in the next nine months of the year that we have left. It's going to end well. It's going to get better and better. That's what you said. How <laughs> yeah. do we know when we come to Christmas at the end of this year? We look back and go, yes, it did end well. James was right. <laughs> I, I hope so. I'm what does that talk- mean for you, though, individually? Um, I think that just means it's it's about experiences. Um, I've learned that more and more. It's it's all about experiences and shared time. So I guess for me, it's you know, from a work sense, because it's a big part of who I am. There's some really cool things that we will have done as a team and enjoyed mm. it and spent that time physically together as well, which I think is important. Mm. And around the country, so I, I would get around the country again, which yeah. I loved. Um, but I suppose where, where how I'm also changing, and I've changed a lot, I think, through the pandemic, is that's not at the expense of time at home. <laughs> that's, that's as well as, or within time at home. So working in a different way. So journey and destination, yeah, they're both good. And um, so I think it's time, experience. And, and, and someone said to me the other day, that a good day's work's not a full day's work. So it's not, a, it's, it's not about what I thought it was when I got that job at 27, which is yeah. I need to be the busiest and longest hour person in the organization because mm. I'm the boss. Mm. It's like, actually, I need to be looking after myself and talking about that more. Yeah, and give, so maybe a bit of that stuff. Love that yeah. response. Thank you. Vic? Yeah, so my son will have finished his first year of school. <laughs> he He'll be well settled in and he will have seen his teachers' faces because they won't have to wear masks anymore. <laughs> yes. So that's one key metric of success at the end Lovely of the right. year for me. Um, and I guess the other one, again, it's Fano-based. I have three grandparents doing well in Hawke's Bay mm, and, in brilliant. fact, I had a great-grandmother until Christmas last year. Mm, mm. Um and that they will have stayed well enough that yeah. at Christmas, when we go to our Christmas this year, they're there playing with their great-grandkids just like they have been for the last eight years. So those are my metrics, and I think we all have a role to play yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in both of those things yeah, being true yeah. as a society. So, yeah. yeah. And the sun is shining. The sun is shining. Yeah, yeah it shines a bit hot in Hawke's Bay <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Say it does, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we were. It was yeah. just time as well. It's yeah. like, wow, okay. It's a bit intense, right? Which is okay when you're on holiday. Yeah. Unless you want to do something. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, humans. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Vic. Thank it's you. Been a yeah. delight. Yeah. Oh, likewise. Yeah. yeah, thank you very much. 
Thank you for listening to Creative Welly episode 31. My name's DK again. Check us out on creativewelly.com. That's where you can subscribe to all the episodes. It's just, just an email subscription and you'll get notified of every podcast that we put out there. Please check out the video version of this. It's an astounding attempt to try something very, very different in this space. Again, big shout out to John Tucker from Empire Films, the video producer of Creative Welly, and also our host, David, at Flashdog Studios. Keep having courageous conversations with bold humans, and we'll see you next time.